0: Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 187 of the Chills of Wool podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by V Castro, and here's a little bit about V Castro, who is a is a two time Bram Stoker Award nominated writer, born in San Antonio, Texas, to Mexican American parents. She's been writing horror stories since she was a child, always fascinated by Mexican folklore and the urban legends of Texas. Castro now lives in the United Kingdom with her family, writing and traveling with her children. Well, it is a pleasure to talk to you across the pond. Thanks so much for your time. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's it's great to always talk about books and horror books. Yes. <laughs> so, thank you.
0: Yes. How's your British accent?
1: None. No British <laughs> accent.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Looking forward to talking about The hunting of Alejandra and, and all kinds of things. I'd love to know, in your bio, talks about being fascinated by Mexican folklore and the urban legends of Texas, growing up in San Antonio. I'd love to know about your early reading and writing life, as well as language. I mean, were you monolingual English, bilingual Spanish and English? How did did that work?
1: Yeah, well, I'm one of those Mexicans that speaks only English. Um, You know, I came from a family of um, immigrants, farm workers, and yeah, was important to assimilate. It was important Mm -hmm. to be perceived as American. Mm -hmm. And it's, it wasn't like it is now, at least the way I have grown up now, as I'm a woman, um, and with my own children where, Mm -hmm. you know, being bilingual is great. You know, it's an asset. Um, however, it wasn't like that. Uh, and you know, I, I, I'm really wish that I did speak Spanish. Um, and I would love to, I mean, look, I don't, I'm not completely ignorant. I took it in high school and, you know, mm-hmm. like most kids do in America, but I didn't continue on with it. And I probably should have, um, that's probably one of my biggest regrets of college, um, besides drinking too much and going <laughs> to too many parties, <laughs> but, um, yeah, my early life was, um, reading, uh, scary stories to sc- to tell in the dark, you know, the stories mm-hmm. that. I was told as a kid of La Llorona and La Chusa mm-hmm. and all of these other tales and urban legends of Texas.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and then I just was a bookworm. I loved all kinds of books, mm-hmm. on fiction, um, fiction. It wasn't until I was older that I could read things like Stephen King
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Koontz and Anne Rice, mm-hmm. but there weren't many really Latino horror writers at mm-hmm. all. Um, and certainly as a kid, there weren't any, you know, there were no, um, goose, you know, well, I mean, RL Stein, I mean, all of the, you know, it's, it just, just the way, the nature of the business then. And, um, as I get older, I read more literary fiction that, that were, you know, by Latin writers. So, and Cisneros and Rudolfo Anaya, um, Isabella Allende. But that's not horror. They were still really beautiful stories and culturally important to me. But horror was a little like proper horror was a little bit later.
0: What what drew you to horror? I mean, I'm I'm of the sensitive temperament, I think, where I'm like, ah, scary stuff. You know, why? Why would I want to like is it was it? I mean, did you see the allegory in them? Did you, is it an escape? Was it just like, how cool is the, the these imagination, these imaginative stories? What was it that drew you about horror?
1: Yeah. I, 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 I thought it was cool because I loved the scary stories that I was told when it came to folklore and urban legend. I loved hearing about these dark creatures, these other creatures, these other worlds. And certainly you know, the history of Texas and the history of my ancestors in Mexico, it's dark. It is scary. It's terrifying. Mm. Um, and it just felt right to me. It's just interesting. It, it mm. captured my imagination and I loved it. Mm. Um, and it wasn't anything there. were You know, I never read like uh, the sweet 16 books, which were, <laughs> which were really popular. Um, the babysitters club, none of that. I never,
2: never, (laughs) I
1: never picked up a single one. I was like, okay, where, and you know, this was also kind of in tandem with going to blockbuster and seeing Uh really cool, you know, eighties, nineties, uh, VHS covers that are just I mean they're just badass so you're like yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street and Shud and Jason and oh man you know <laughs> Halloween you name it I loved it you know even like you know Killer Tomatoes and uh, oh, wow. the Bob Jaws I remember watching Jaws when I think I was like six
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I just it's just been part of yeah just part of my my upbringing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah how much of the i mean you talk about like you know your ancestors your family's stories like how much of that were you told and how much did you seek out later as part of research or just on your own but like how much of that was just like a part of your your daily life that you would hear about the you know i guess like the revolution and, and those type of things um
1: i would you know it They would just come up the stories in family, just kind of organically. But I would go to the library and seek out scary books, creepy Mm. books. Um, And certainly as I got older, I could raise the intensity and also watching, you know, going and watching scarier horror films, you know, Mm. up in in the Annie. And um, I loved it. I loved it. And um, I guess the historical side was when I was in high school and in college where I could further explore my identity, my cultural history. Mm-hmm. And when I finally decided to write horror, um, it was just kind of like went from like 50 to a thousand. Mm-hmm. I just turned it up a notch
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, thought, well, why did I wait so long to do that, do this?
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: There's a, uh, there's a scene in the hunting of Alejandra where I want to say Alejandra goes to school and like she she says something to the principal or some of the staff about La Llorona or a similar story and they're you know they're not outwardly racist they're not terrible they just what what does that even mean yeah the white you know, administrators like with the stories that you were interested in did you where did you find your the community like whether it was reading you talked about some of the authors who really drew your interest but like where were these communities you found whether like in school writers groups. Or just like some of those writers that you found who really told your stories?
1: That's the thing. That's one of the reasons I started writing because there weren't a lot, there were, nobody was telling these stories. No one was really capturing it. Um, The way I, I, I just felt it could be captured. No one was really doing it. And I looked at my Kindle and I looked at my book collection when I was, you know, in my 30s before I started writing. And I thought, wow, why aren't all of these images and these stories coming out where are they and so i kind of just went with it and have started mm. doing it and um and you're getting a lot more people doing it which i love there are so many more writers uh taking their their stories from their culture and their history and their families and they're putting them out there and i absolutely love it mm. Um, but a lot of it, I just did on my own. I just had to search it out for my own and write my own stories.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Yeah. And that's kind Good. of how it began. It, yeah. you, If you see it's not there, then do it, create it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that was attributed maybe to Toni Morrison, this idea of like, yeah. if yeah. you're not right, if you're exactly. not seeing what you want to read, then make it yourself, create it yourself.
1: Yes, she awesome. did actually.
0: Yeah, Right. <laughs> I
1: love Mor- uh, t- ah, Toni Morrison. I mean, beloved I mean that that's a creepy story
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah right doesn't it doesn't fit the genre the horror genre necessarily but right exactly creepy in a different way who who are some of the the contemporaries who are really thrilling you inspiring you making you want to continue to write your own
1: oh my gosh there are so many I think the indie horror community is just like exploding at the moment
2: Mm, mm -hmm. really
1: exploding and it's great I mean you've got Gabino Iglesias, you have Gemma Moore, Haley Piper, Eric a um, uh, Laurel Hightower, you have, you know, Brian Keane, who's been on the scene for a long time, but, okay. you yeah. know, he just, you know, really solid writing, Chuck Wendig, I mean, there's so many people out there that are yeah. doing it, and it's great. God, there's too many to name. <laughs> I, I got
0: you. That's that's a good that's a good number. It sounds like it's really a thriving community for sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: That's so cool. The does I mean, how does genre fit in? Like, do you, you know, I know for like publishers, they want it to fit, you know, the the mold, so to speak. Like, I mean, do you feel like um, horror writing is limiting to you? Like, to call you a horror writer, we you, you either just be a writer, or is it like you fully embrace like, hey, that this is what I write.
1: No, absolutely. I completely embrace it. But I also uh write other things. I write science fiction. I write uh-huh. erotic horror. I write loads of different things. And so yeah, you call me a horror writer, call I I mm-hmm. I don't mind because it is what I write. Um but at the same time, I also give myself permission to write whatever I want. Sure. You know, or and mix genres.
0: Mhm. Man, sounds like the some, it seems like the main characters of The Hunting of Alejandra. How about that transition, huh? Yeah. Living, standing up on their own two feet kind of thing, yeah. right? doing their own thing, yeah. Yeah. The Hunting of Alejandra came out in April. I'd love to for you to shout out, like, you know, any cool places you'd like us to buy it, contact info. Yeah. Uh, and kind of how, it, how it's felt in the last month. I know, obviously, you're a veteran. It's not your first book, but, like, how it feels to have it out in the world.
1: You know, I think with publishing it takes so long <laughs> from mm. when you start to when it's finally out. It's almost anticlimactic because huh. you've like seen it so many times and you've gone through edits and then all of the stuff, it's like, Oh yeah, it is out. Oh, <laughs> Oh yeah. Now it's time to be out. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I wrote that book. I forgot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um,
1: you know, so the process is so long. It's kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's good. And I, you know, I'm, I really hope people pick it up and, um, you know shout it out or leave reviews
2: mm-hmm. it all
1: matters it all counts um yeah. when you're a writer and uh yeah i mean it, you can pick it up anywhere really barnes and noble Bookstop. Dot. you know everyone uh-huh. everywhere amazon yeah um which i'm really blessed it's it's out there and there are many places for people to pick it up uh, but it's it's surreal because when yeah. i i finished it during lockdown so ah. kind of a long time ago but yet not <laughs> right oh
0: so, yeah seems, it seems like decades ago but also seems like yesterday right
1: yeah exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love to know some of the seeds for the book
1: was in a, in a in a place where I needed an escape and writing is always reading and writing but mostly writing has just been my way hmm. of I guess working through my own stuff and once I have an idea, I love to follow through with through yeah. with it. And I just thought, you know, I want to see more on La Girona, something different, a different take on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then with lockdown, I just had lots of time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know,
1: where to go, nowhere to be. <laughs> and I just flew through it and worked through a lot of things I was personally experiencing. And um yeah it and then there you go it was there and that was the book that also um got me my agent so it was Uh yeah it was great so it's just one of those ideas you have and then as it so happened i had a lot of time to finish it
2: Hmm. i
0: wonder you know i mean there's there's a lot to be said for like the allegory of the book the symbols like you know represented it what it represents all the things it represents themes i wonder if like but it's also just like a really cool page turner oh, the ima- the images yeah the plot like the the plan that's hatched at the end and all of that it's like really cool so so i wonder like kind of what came first or like were they concurrent like you know i want to tell a story i want like and, and again it's not like didactic or like you know patronizing and teaching lessons but it's like was it more of like the allegory and kind of like the 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 symbols that kind of come first or was it more just like the storyline the plot
1: you know, I it was first a storyline in the plot and then just all of like an emotional dump. It
0: yeah, was, yeah,
1: yeah. Pulled out as like an emotional dump with kind of a plot and, and then it was just like blah. And <laughs> then I go back and clean it up. And then the editors go back and clean it up more.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so yeah, it's um it is a pro a layering process. It's like ba- it's like baking a cake, really. Huh.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's- baking- oh man. If it only were that easy to write such a great book, just same as baking the cake. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, lots of layers, lots of ingredients. <laughs>
0: You're very humble in that way. <laughs> so the story starts with the epigraph from Flor Castillo. This, this kind of just idea of like listening to the women who have come before us, severing cords of generational curses. Mm-hmm. And which is so cool because later in the book, you you have a story, you know, one of the chapters is with Flor and she says this exact Yeah. Um, paragraph or I think it's I think it's maybe a little bit more complete but it's the exact same thing is Flor Flor Castillo I kind of like didn't look it up on purpose I wanted to ask you like is Flor Castillo a real person
1: no actually she's not but um her friend uh, that she fights with um Mm -hmm. not Emilia Ah. Emiliano the other fighter is an actual uh trans man Mexican mm-hmm. revolutionary r- mm. uh, re- really um and I wanted to put that in there mm. and, and but Flor Castillo and Emiliano Zapata is a real character
2: of course yeah
1: and uh but Flor no I just that was just someone I made up
0: okay kind of like a kind of like a, a combination of different characters or just kind of more made up um
1: just I wanted a character again cuz it's a generation of women mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted people to see different types of mothers, t- different types of women,
2: mm-hmm.
1: across as as times changed, mm-hmm. and and their influences and and their circumstances and how they their ideas of motherhood changed over time and how they saw themselves mm. in the world as times changed mm. and what are the things they wanted to accomplish in this life? How were yeah. they feeling? What were they doing? What do they want to pass to the, onto on to their children?
2: Hmm.
0: So there are like, I don't know, four, five or six maybe different narrators, you know, from the family line. Yep. 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 Right.
1: Yeah. I wanted to take it all the way back to the um Spanish invasion. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What 1520, something like that, with was yep. the first character. Yeah. man, 1521, I think, with Atsy. The the book starts with Alejandra. She's at her wits' end. You know, Mm -hmm. she, she hears this voice basically saying, end it, like end it all, like end end your life. She's, like I said, she's at her wits end. Her, her husband is, is definitely emotionally unavailable to say the least. He's, (laughs) he's right. I mean, he's griping saying, ah, you got everything you need. You've got, you know, we've got financially we're stable. You don't have to work anymore, but she, but she feels worthless. She feels, um, unloved. She feels like, you know, also that guilt, like I should be happy according to, you know, whatever society, blah, blah, blah. Later on, we we get to know that she was she comes from a she's adopted, she from a family of like evangelical Christians who really seem like they're really like do-gooders in the in the worst sense of the word, <laughs> right? Like really thought like, like patronizing. Leaders? I'm sorry,
1: <laughs> like the doggers? No
0: I'm kidding, right? <laughs> I, I don't I honestly don't know fully about it yet, but yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but yeah, just kind of like um, thinking they can change the world and 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 but anyways. So she's going through that. um, And so those early scenes are really, really brutal. I mean, she's there's this manifestation of her of her worries. How would you describe the the physical manifestation that comes like in the shower scene?
1: It's it's just like the, um, you know, again, the anxiety, the pain, Mm -hmm. the the, um, the, you know, suicidal ideation, you know, the the everything that is plaguing her emotionally and mentally. Um takes form in this creature, this La Llorona, this demon, and it is—it's attracted to that feeling that she's that energy that she's has, mm-hmm. and it wants to feed off her, and it knows that she's vulnerable, and it yeah. feeds off of people's vulnerabilities, right? And so, and you know, a lot of times when people are at you know rock bottom, when they're the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm is when those really scary thoughts start creeping in Yeah, when they need the most support and help um, when they feel all hope is lost.
2: Right.
0: And, you know, and Matthew's not going to be the one to, to be there for her. That's, that's unfortunate, yeah. you know, for sure. Those of us who are parents, we know this idea of Alejandro describes it as like a stigmata, like the, kind of like the pain, like these thorns that come with the roses. I'm, I'm not saying as eloquently as she did, or as you wrote about it, but this idea that she does, she loves her kids so much. And there's this pain that comes from that because of the worry, because of the anxiety she's cut off from her people in Texas. She lives in what, Philadelphia? Yep. She doesn't have that, that built in the support comfort, network. comfort support yeah. network. Exactly. Right. She just met her birth mother, maybe, I don't know, maybe a couple months before they left. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not long, not I mean, long enough for them to really spend the time she wanted to.
0: Right. Right. Her, her, I think it comes up in one of the questions her daughter asked, and she kind of was like, yeah, Alejandra is like, yeah, I'm, I, and we were Chicana. Um, right. I didn't, I didn't get to know a lot about it, you know, growing up in the family that I did. And she tells her about La Llorona and she's kind of like, oh shoot, have I, have I gone too far? But she wants mm-hmm. to to share that, like kind of like you talked about when being a kid, like there's there is pain and, and darkness in a lot of our family histories. Right. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about how she feels so worn out. Is she she just kind of feels like she's more of like a worker and a cook than she is. a, a
2: Yeah. Person, I
0: think
1: right? Yeah. I think she, you know, a lot of times, you know, as parents and it can be. Mother, father, sometimes there are single dads, too, um or g- grandparents or aunties mm-hmm. taking care of kids. And when you're a guardian, you, you know, and that is, you tend to put yourself last, you know, a lot of times parents put themselves last. They, they, they tend to their kids. They tend to their, sometimes their spouse, Mm -hmm. um, putting food on the table, uh, worry about everything. And at the end of the day, there's nothing left. You know, I think, um, it's such a big responsibility having children Mm -hmm. and, and, and being, what children need to grow up well adjusted and happy and not carry on their parents demons and carry their parents anxieties and worries. Um, And, and so yeah, she, you know, she's never resolved her kind of stuff,
3: Mm -hmm. her issues
1: before having children and it just doing so, you know, exacerbates all the other, all the unresolved generational trauma, all the unresolved trauma that she had, Mm -hmm. and questions, um, you know, and not loving herself first, not having an ounce of self-love, not giving herself enough care, um, so she could care for someone else Mm. properly, with boundaries, with um, the ability to, you know, be who she is. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And a lot of times we do sacrifice ourselves for things we think are important yeah. because other people say they are when in reality is it really what we want is it really who we are hey. and that can be mothers, fathers anyone
3: these are
0: deep questions <laughs> Man.
1: i told you blame lockdown i just sat there and was like Ch-ch-ch-ch. yeah
0: no no really deep questions and i mean Too
1: much time on my hands then <laughs> right
0: no The fact that she she does feel silenced, you know, by her own demons, if you will, by her own history, by by Matthew, by his lack of emotional availability. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, you know, she does she she eventually, you know, gets to talk to Melanie, who's the, the therapist, and who's obviously is great for her. But it just makes you think of like the pre- the previous people in her family line, the previous women in her family line, and how much they didn't get they didn't a chance. They Didn't yeah. have that right. They didn't have those escapes. Exactly.
1: Oh. i going to say a lot of us, you know, we talk to our parents and our grandparents and all the things that we have available to us that they didn't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people like, and it is, we'll sit there and say, I've said it. Yeah. But that's that generation. Oh, Why do they think like that? Why do they say that? And you're like, cause that's what their generation, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. there's a yeah. lot of that.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. no, no doubt about it. The, so um, as part of this, you know, trying to get to know her family line and herself, she does the DNA report. You made up this, I think you made up the company, right?
1: Yeah, I made up the company. <laughs> it's even though the... it's based on 23 and Me. you know. Yeah, there's...
0: exactly. But but pretty cool. It's like something like a tree, right? It's like DNA yeah. tree or something like that. Yeah. Clever, clever. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> and so with that, you know, there's, she's going to be, she'll eventually get, well, no, I'm sorry. Her mother got in touch with her, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. It, it flashes back to OTSI, am I saying that correctly? Oh, yes. Right, so from fifteen twenty one.
1: Yep, that's see, that's right.
0: Right, and this is, um, you know, soon after the the Spanish and the conquistadores, and it's like this is, I guess, where the curse begins. You could say.
1: Yep, it is.
0: Right. Yep. You, I don't know. You can tell as much or as little as you want about this deal that she makes um, with with this with this spirit with this demon. Um, you know, and about you know, obviously the the Spanish came and they came with the cross and in one hand and the sword in the other. And there was all kinds of death. And of course, not, that doesn't even begin to include the uh, you know, the sicknesses that came, the disease. Yep. Um, so it's a pretty horrific, hellish, you know, um, atmosphere. I wonder how much you, you want to say about the, uh, the deal she makes.
1: Yeah, I mean, so she, you know, was taken by a Spanish man, which that, you know, a lot of the indigenous women were forced to, mm. you know, have relationships with these men, non-consensual. And um, you know, she gets pregnant and she doesn't want that that. She doesn't want to have the baby of this this man. And, you know, she's fears for the child she already has in her family, considering all that's happening. Like you mentioned, the disease, the destruction, the conversions, the war,
3: hmm.
1: the enslavement. And so she she and she wants to die. She doesn't want to carry on. She's lost hope. Um, and so she sacrifices herself for her family to escape, her daughter to escape.
3: Mm.
1: It says right. so you you help me get revenge on this man and take these this pregnancy from me and you can have you can you can have them um, because it eats the <laughs> it eats the unborn shil- the unborn mm-hmm. fetuses inside of her and it also feeds on her despair, her hate, her mm. pain. <clears throat> and so the demon says, okay. And she also takes her life. So the demon gets all of that soul energy, mm. all of that pain. It feeds on it. And it does keep true to its promise. It finds the uh, the conquistador and destroys him and his family um, in very brutal way. But part of that deal is then the demon gets to have her whole bloodline.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the tie.
0: Yeah. The like we said, you know, going back to to Alejandra's story, she finds Melanie Ortiz. She's you know she knows she needs help. She with these these horrible um, things that are that are torturing so much. These thoughts of of suicide and such. Um, and so she's she sees okay, cool Melanie Ortiz. She's a curandera, you know. She specializes in generational trauma, and she really you know takes to her so quickly and vice versa. Um, and she really finds out through Melanie this connection about like well she kind of kind of knew it, but like Katrina mm-hmm. as you know she's the one that's all dressed up nice right it's like the mm-hmm. little umbrella yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> right? yeah yep
0: and so um as her like a really strong woman like a I'm, I'm not going to pronounce the name correctly from the Nahuatl but the indigenous woman right who kind of like morphed into Katrina right with this combination of the Spanish and yes
1: yes basically the Aztec queen of the dead exactly yeah, Nick Siwat, yes and that character is actually in my book um the queen of cicadas uh, so if you want to know more about her and hey. her and 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 you know some crazy and a hate crime uh-huh. in 1950s texas pick up the queen of cicadas
0: oh man i mentioned know how you how you connect those oh man
1: <laughs> so you get to see nick Siwat and her full bloody glory <laughs>
0: uh, all right and then, you know, something that's so great about Melanie is that she shares her own traumas, mm-hmm. right? She's not sitting there in judgment. She's not like, you know, teaching from an ivory tower. She's She shares her own trauma, which is pretty um, pretty extensive. Um, but just going back to Katrina, I wonder like, what is, uh, what's kind of like the story of Katrina, what she represents? She's kind of like a like a middle finger to like the establishment, to the rich. Like, how would you describe yeah. Katrina?
1: Yeah, so um, basically, you know, uh, a lot of the um, ideas from that we have now, if you go to Texas, you'll see Katrina everywhere. Mm. She's very famous. You see it, but yeah, basically an artist um, at the time wanted to say death comes to everyone. You can Mm. be dressed finery, You can be rich. You can be beautiful. You can be all these things, Mm -hmm. but you will die. We all die. Um, And she is a mixture kind of like Santa Muerte, Uh of of the old gods and then the new gods, mm-hmm. God, Love the Virgin Mary, nice. all the saints brought over to convert and to make kind of the religion, Catholicism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: more palatable, palatable,
2: yeah, and, yeah.
1: and um, a way that they can receive it and uh-huh. internalize it. So, but you still had through history people rejecting that and wanting to reject it, which is great mm-hmm. and then, and then you have this kind of um mixture of ideas and and image imagery like Santa Muerte, like Katrina mm-hmm. uh, which is I think is really cool,
0: yeah, we well, have yeah, so you know, going along with the idea of like the combination of religions and traditions, and you know so Alejandro continues to be tortured by and also interested in, you know, La Llorona in the story. And she, you know, it's really, she puts that in like stark contrast to her evangelical background where, you know, she wasn't allowed to, to, what was it, be in, what was the play? Was it like a Dracula type play?
1: Yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula.
0: Right. Bram Stoker. Hey, two time nominated. Two time (laughs) nominated. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just the idea that that was, you know, in direct opposition to her background. So she slowly, with the help of Melanie, you know she's slowly kind of you know coming more into her own. Although you know that the, there's definitely still a lot of issues, she gets to to know her mother more, her birth mother. Kathy gets her, her name is Kathy. Kathy gets her own story, gets her own chapter, and her pregnancy really was was like a one time mistake. She she really really wanted the best for her daughter. I mean, she was a driven really good academically wanted to be a doctor and the they're both immature they're both in high school they both knew they weren't ready to be parents but the father was just like peace i'm out yeah yeah he was with another girl like a week later yeah Um, so i wonder about like kathy's story what how she dealt with having to give up her daughter
1: you know it was one of those things was she going to Do something that would completely alter her life and she knew she wasn't prepared for and knew she didn't want and knew she would probably resent and hate. Hmm. So, yeah, she did what she had to do. She didn't want to live like that. And she didn't want her child to experience that resentment, that hate, Hmm. that feeling of not being wanted. Hmm. And so she made that decision
0: she she herself came from um Francis or Frances, who yeah. you know was was someone who again gets her own story and she she feels absolutely worthless she her husband's cheating on her, she does her own cheating, but it just it you know it doesn't fill the hole no. um right and she feels like, man, my kids are gonna be better off without me. they truly truly will be and she basically walks into the water, right.
1: Mm-hmm. She does exactly what La Llorona wants.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly, and she, she, she. Prophecy, right? I mean, she you know feels like she's sacrificing herself for their betterment, mm. right? In in the parallel story with with Alejandra, she is cleansing. She is she has these records that she'd gotten from Kathy, um, as you know, token or m- memories, but she feels like she's been hoarding her whole life, maybe not hoarding, but she feels like there are these material things that she doesn't she doesn't have a connection to. And for her, it's like, uh, well, who's the woman who went so big on net Netflix a few years ago about like, you know, if it doesn't make you feel better. You'll Marie,
1: Marie Kondo. <laughs> yes, thank
0: you, right? And she really has one of those. And, you know, and then again, a big step. She doesn't ask for Matthew's permission. She's just like, I'm going to get rid of this stuff. This yep. reminds me of bad things. This was a, a former me and all that. And, you know, the therapy, the slow slow connecting with her mom or birth mom and this, these are some of the things that start to make her feel better. Not that everything is, of course, you know, wrapped up and nice and and neat in a a tiny box or anything.
1: Shedding the past. Mm -hmm. Getting rid of all the things that hold you back, hold you down. Uh, Taking stock.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, a lot of times in life we have to stop and take stock of things. what is what's necessary what's what isn't Mm -hmm. um how can our lives be improved yeah and that's what that represents
0: well i mean please don't tell me that i have to like close like some of my 75 tabs that are open right now (laughs) that's okay
1: because i i do as well (laughs) okay
0: good thank you because that's a step too far you know (laughs) that's too much All all right thank you So, you know, if we get kind of closer towards the end, I'm going to avoid, you know, the plot, the plot spoilers and such, but there's Alejandra is really coming into her own and feels like uh, I got to face these curses head on. Mm -hmm. Right. You got to face this, this generational trauma, these curses, that's the only way to stop them. You know, obviously they've continued since, you know, 1521 into the modern day. Um, You know, with that on the, you know, Matthew continues to, Matthew feels alienated or alienates himself. You know, Kathy, stays with the family for a while he's not he's not friendly or welcoming at all um you know he's i wonder what kind of how you how you drew him as a character so to speak like how you crafted him he's not a terrible guy he's not a you know he's not a he doesn't commit domestic violence he's not yeah. outwardly mean or horrific but he's not what she needs to say the least he's not helpful he's not um you know he's not therapy for her I wonder kind of how you thought of of drawing that character
1: all my worst relationships
0: <laughs> okay
2: <laughs> easy
0: <laughs> period period all right okay I got gotcha. you all right yeah um, <laughs> I wonder yeah. um so you know we also have one of the last chapters is Flor, who again she was introduced in the uh, in the epigraph. She's during the time of the Mexican Revolution. She's basically married off to an older guy who's, I guess, very much like Matthew, right? Yeah. Um, right. He's yeah. He, he doesn't seem to be a terrible guy, but he's he's only three years older, but he just kind of hobbles around, and there's no love after you know they have their initial fling or whatever, or their initial you know honeymoon period, like they say but um, there's just, there's no love. There's no warmth there, yep. which is what Florida and any, anyone needs. Yep. Um, he eventually dies on like, like a horse, like a yep. f- falling off a horse.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What is, I wonder about her decision and what it says about her and the, you know, the patterns of like the women in the, in the, in the bloodline, like sacrifice um, and hoping for a better, you know, future for, for her kids, for her, for the next generations.
1: Yeah, it's again, it's it's having the time and the awareness to kind of get to know yourself enough. So in Flora's situation, you know, in that time, it was an arranged marriage, which right. a lot of previous generations experienced. So it was an arranged marriage. There was not much she could really do.
0: They didn't meet on uh, match.com or anything like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> As she gets older, she finds out more about herself and she... She comes into her own, and that's why she has this other love affair, you know, after her husband's dead, Mm -hmm. um, doing something she's passionate about. Yeah. And they share a passion and a love that's found. And same with the other women. You know, it takes time to know yourself and to know who you are and know what you want and have the courage to be that. Hmm. And that's what I kind of wanted to say.
0: You know, again, ah, trying to avoid stepping on some of these plot spoilers here. I guess. Well,
1: <laughs> no, don't, no, don't spoil it. People have to go buy it. <laughs> oh,
0: no, exactly. That's no, definitely. That's, that's <laughs> foremost in my mind for sure. For sure. So I just want, I wonder about like how you were, we talked about a little bit, but you were so, uh, so deftly able to, to really talk about generational trauma and about, you know, the strength of women, which, you know, could come off as so like patronizing and like, uh, you know, lip service, like, oh, women are so strong. They always have been, but they always are and always have been and we see it through these these members uh, of the of the family. But I just wonder how are you able to really kind of lightly paint this this story of finding ways to end to stop to cease with generational trauma without it being, you know, hitting the reader over the head with it.
1: Um again it just comes back to being your authentic self, knowing yourself and and living that every day and Encouraging others to do the same, Mm -hmm. you know, like it says in the beginning, you don't have to be what previous generations say you have to be. Mm -hmm. There are other ways of living, of thinking, of being of 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 different faiths. And so, I just wanted it to come naturally. I just wanted it to be a a slow evolution, an organic evolution, because Mm -hmm. that's how we change. That's how we evolve. That's how we grow and become more self-aware is just through experience and time. Hmm. and yeah so that's kind of how
2: i, well, I
0: approach it. oh so i mean it's so cool you talk about like passing on the next generation learning and i just love how um how melanie for example is like she's someone who's had a lot of trauma and she really takes pride in the fact that she's able to like you know pay it forward sounds so cheesy but like really yeah. pay it forward no it's
2: true yes right
0: and then yeah. you know well and it's the same idea too it's like you know if i'm who am i gonna am I going to feel more comfortable with somebody who has experienced, you know, thing a, or somebody who's, you know, just wr- written about it or read about it. Like that's something, but it's like, you know, someone like Melanie who has gone through so much in her life, she has to quote on background. And that's what, what draws Alejandro to her so much. Yeah. Um, I wonder about like, you know, these are such cool characters that you created such memorable characters. Maybe like you said, a couple are based on real life. I really want to find out more about the life story. Um, remind me of the name of the, the mexican general who was a friend to Flor? uh
1: yes oh gosh um
0: did you look, use, use the real book. name no i understand i know I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry
1: i did you know no 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 i wrote it so long ago now i'm like uh, i did what um <laughs> yes. emilio robles avila there
0: you go there you go Loved emilio
1: it. robles yes Love re- general Robles. Story. yeah yeah. So he and he he lived until he was ninety eight, and he oh wow, was decorated full honors. He was respected um, as a fighter, as a soldier. Yeah. And I thought that was really great to show, huh. you know, this trans man in the revolution, just being their authentic self.
0: Yeah. Well, shoot. I mean, if you listen to a lot of people now, they say that just, that just transgenderism just started, like five mm-hmm. years ago, right? Yeah.
1: Apparently, exactly. Apparently not, like- huh? This was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. During the Mexican revolution. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just was Mm kind of like, yep, this is who I am. And Mm -hmm. he did
0: it. So, you know, just in creating, um, new characters, I'm just, I remember as like a novice writer, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like in a college workshop when, when the other students were talking about my characters, my fictional characters, as if they were real people, that's just, you know, as cool as it gets, right. yeah (laughs) I mean, so you have such memorable characters. I wonder like, is it possible or helpful or beneficial? Like, to not did you did you kind of like sit in judgment of any of the characters is it hard not to like look at Francis and say oh my gosh or you know or is that just like hey these are the characters as they are laid out and that's part of the whole theme of the book is be your authentic self
1: yeah no I didn't I didn't I don't ever see look at my characters in judgment I I want them to be people that we have really met Hmm. you know some people are great but they're flawed. Some people are awful. (laughs) Um, but they are products of, of their environments and they, you know, they've made bad choices and they're horrible. Mm. Um, (laughs) and they do horrible things, Mm. but you know, that's part of writing a novel is you show why they are the way Mm. they are.
2: Yeah.
1: Why are they inflicting pain? Why Mm. are they, um, so hurt? Yeah. Um, and that's what horror is great at is is kind of bringing bringing a mirror to those darker aspects of life.
0: Yeah. Well the, the book is in, in in some way in so many ways is time li- timeless and timely. It's timely because you know there's uh, fortunately there's a lot more talk of generational trauma in these more recent years. There's mental a lot health. more talk Right, mental health just in general, right? There's a lot more talk of like hey, like women cannot be expected to carry all these burdens. And just you know keep smiling through it. That's just it just cannot yeah. be done, right It's not it's not realistic, it's not loving. Um, and it's also you know timeless with you know with the historical connections and ideas of colonialism and all these things that are so um, timeless is the word I keep coming to.
1: yeah and and you know also another thing I wanted to kind of also impress is that if two people, both man and woman, don't want to be parents or see they're fit to be parents, mm they shouldn't be forced to by the government to be parents Hmm. as it's a burden on, on, you know, it takes two to tango. It's a burden on both. And it's important for people to make those decisions personally,
3: Hmm. because
1: it's such a big deal to be a a parent that that right should only be reserved for the people involved.
0: And of course there are some beautiful scenes with, with her and her kids, with, with, you know, with Kathy, as she Mm -hmm. gets to know her daughter better and vice versa with Katrina, with Will, with Elodia. Yeah. There's, you know, beautiful moments that really, you know, those of us who are parents and those who are not can really enjoy and appreciate. I know, like you said, you know, the, the book is was finished almost, what, three years ago. And so I know you've worked, you're probably working on, you've worked on multiple projects since.
1: Yes, anything, I am. <laughs>
0: anything that you want to share that you're working on now?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm finishing up the books for the Netflix film Rebel Moon which can be, Um, yeah, that's science fiction. Yeah, that can be pre-ordered now. Um, I am putting together um, a kind of, you know, a pitch for another novel, which will be crime. And Ah. dark crime. (laughs) Uh, Polishing up my, and get pulling together my erotic horror collection. That's going to be with, I can't say. Um, I almost said it hasn't been announced yet. And uh, just short stories. Um, yeah, just, you know, on the hustle, just getting stuff out there, getting it done.
0: Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm, I'm not so familiar with Rebel Moon, but I look it up and it's, it's an yeah. upcoming American yep. epic space opera film directed by Zack Snyder.
1: Yep. Yep. So, if P- and, you know, if people love science fiction, if they love Star Wars, if they enjoyed uh, what I wrote for Aliens Vasquez, yeah. definitely reorder it. Yeah
0: very cool well it's so cool to talk to somebody who is incredibly prolific but also um the quality and the quantity is there the quality is there for sure thank
1: you thank you
0: congrats on continuing with this great work and i wish you great luck in the future
1: thank you so much thank you for having me it was great to talk about i love talking books (laughs) right
0: same pleasure to talk to you
1: yes absolutely thank you and thank you for everybody tuning in
0: You for listening to episode 187 with v castro you can now subscribe to the chills at will podcast on apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review you can also ask for by name using alexa and find it on stitcher spotify and on amazon music follow me on instagram where i'm at chills at will podcast or on twitter where i'm at chills at will p o one the digit one you can watch this and other episodes on youtube this is the chills at will podcast channel Sign up now for the Chills at Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. My last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Previous episodes include Mary Pasqual, an episode on the enduring greatness of rage against the machine as well as the july upcoming with daniel Allen cox whose book is an incredible must read thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show my diy podcast and my extensive reading research editing and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high quality content speaking of promoting have you recommended the chills of will podcast to a friend or friends please do if you like what you hear The intro song for the Chills Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 188 with Kavita Das. She worked in social change for close to 15 years, addressing social issues from community and housing inequities to public health disparities to racial injustice, and she now addresses social injustice through writing and editing, including her first book, Poignant Song, The Life and Music of Lakshmi Shankar. She is writer slash editor of Craft and Conscience, How to Write About Social Issues, which is an anthology featuring countless stellar writers. This episode will air on June 20th. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like V. Castro, whose work, like The Haunting of Alejandra, gives you chills at will.